One body, many parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Very famous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, comes right before another very famous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I don't need it up there just yet, guys, but uh, if you've got it, I want to find 1 Corinthians in your New, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, I don't need it up there just yet, fellas, because I've got one of Aesop's fables to tell you first before we start. One of Aesop, the great storyteller, one of his famous fables uh, goes like this. One day the members of the body all got together because they felt as though they were being shortchanged. You see, they were doing all the, all the work, but the stomach was getting all of the food, like all of the food. So the members of the body decided they're going to go on strike. They're going to go on strike until uh, they started getting what they deserved and the stomach stopped hogging all of the food. They weren't going to do any work. They weren't going to feed the stomach at all until things changed. They decided the hands weren't going to gather the food, the teeth and the gums and the tongue weren't going to chew the food, uh, the legs weren't going to take them to the food until things changed. Well, of course, after a few days, they realized that they'd made a terrible mistake. The hands started to grow weak. The teeth and the gums started to bleed. And the legs could barely support the weight of the body. They very, very quickly realized, of course, that in actual fact, although they couldn't see it, although they couldn't hear it, although they didn't realize what was going on, the stomach was, of course, doing an essential work. The stomach was, of course, working its way in order to nourish the body in, in an indispensable fashion. They realized that without the stomach, the body would go to pieces. Because the body is the New Testament's most famous, most popular way of describing the church. The church is described as the body, as the body of Christ, with Christ as its, as its head. We're going to hear that the church is described as one body made up of many Parts. And over the next couple of weeks, as a matter of fact, we're going to be asking ourselves how we each fit into the body that is church in the marketplace. We don't want our body to go to pieces like it did in that famous fable of, of Aesop. We want to be a strong church. We want to be a growing church. We want to be a church that is moving boldly into the future. We don't want to be a church simply made up of of pew warmers who warm a pew for an hour on Sunday, but those who find their place, people who contribute, who find joy and contentment and purpose by serving the body, by, by living out the calling that God has for them, by finding their place, the place, the role that God has gifted them, has created them specially to perform in the here and the now. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to, in fact, challenge one another over the coming weeks to discern where each of us fits, where we can serve. Even if it is as simple as being a prayer warrior midweek. I know for some people it is difficult to get here if, you are, if your physical body maybe wasn't, isn't what it once was. It can be difficult. But even those of you watching from home, you can be prayer warriors. It's an essential part of the body and we need even people that can't physically do much anymore to be doing their part, to be doing 
their bit in order that church in the marketplace might thrive deep into the 21st century because we are all going to need to be pulling together because we are all going to need to be working, each of us doing our part in the 21st century because it is a difficult mission field. It's increasingly a tough environment out there. If we're going to live and thrive into the future, each of us needs to hear this message this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in order that we're going to be able to proclaim freedom to our city, to shout freedom and love and joy and hope in Jesus' name that our dying world out there so desperately needs to hear. Amen. If we're going to thrive into the future, we're going to, to really make an impact in our city. We're going to need each member of the body working together, each doing their part in order that we might thrive and grow uh, deep into this coming century. So why don't we have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is a relatively famous chapter of the Bible. Uh, Paul is writing to the, to the church in, in, in Corinth. It's one of the great chapters on spiritual gifts. Many of you, I'm sure, have read it before about how they contribute to the body of Christ. I'm going to read all of it because I think it is all worthwhile. So why don't we have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but it is the same Spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Everybody say common good. To one, there is given the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same Spirit to another miraculous power, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one, of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Now, your foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, you would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would its sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If we're all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are 
unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is on it, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gift. Church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come seeking more of your Holy Spirit in discerning your spiritual gifts and how they help us to build up the body. We declare this morning we seek your guidance. We seek more wisdom from you in knowing how you are calling us to serve, how you are calling us to live out our calling, to manifest the Holy Spirit by building up your church. Help each of us to find our calling, to find our place. May my words be your words. May I decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. Now Paul opens up uh, this famous chapter of the Bible by saying, now about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. Some translations say ignorant. Now I also think that ignorance is not bliss. We don't seek an uninformed faith, we seek an informed faith. We have a faith-seeking understanding. We don't just say, the Bible says it, I believe it, end of the story. We want to open up the bonnet and dig around and, and understand context, understand why he's saying these things. Uh, in relation uh, to matters uh, of faith, we need to seek an informed faith, to, to really uh, explore it for ourselves and, and, and to dig in. And when it comes to these spiritual gifts, ignorance or being uninformed can be a, a chief cause of a dying church, of a dysfunctional church, of an unhealthy church, an impotent church. Ignorance about how spiritual gifts can serve the body, build up the body, can be a really big cause of discouragement of insecurity, of frustration, of, of guilt that plagues many Christians and really curtails their effectiveness for God. So if you're a Jesus follower, that is, a, if you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, if you surrendered, yielded your life to Jesus, then you'll, you will want his church to be as healthy and vibrant as it can possibly be. You want to be among a growing group of people who are empowered, equipped to show God's love for your community. And you'll need to not be ignorant of the spiritual gifts. So what is the spiritual gifts? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 7 this morning is where Paul neatly summarizes it for us. If you've got it open in front of you, but it's up on the screen there. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. There's three key phrases that I want you to take uh, a look at there if you're if you're a Christian and you want your church to be healthy, I want you to, to have a think of these three attributes in verse 7. Here. The first one, it is to each one. It's to everyone. That's you, friend. That is you. You are included. No one misses out. 
This means that there is no excuse. No one has an excuse to not contribute to building up the body. Right? There's, there's simply no opting out. There's no simply attending worship for an hour or so on a Sunday if you wanted to turn up at all. Every Jesus follower has been given a set of gifts to use, every single one. So you're included. No one is left out. The second part of that verse is that it is a manifestation of God's Spirit. When you manifest something, you bring it to light, you display it, you show it, you embody it, you bring it forward for people to see. Right? That same Spirit that hovered over the waters, that brooded over the waters of creation, is in you, follower of Jesus. Isn't that good to know? Isn't that encouraging to know? You have the Spirit living inside you. God's Holy Spirit becomes visible, is made manifest, when you exercise your gifts, we are to manifest, that is to exhibit, to display, to show the Holy Spirit to the world through our lives, through the manner in which we live. In fact, isn't this really what life is all about as a follower of Jesus? Isn't our life actually all really about to know God and to make Him known in word and in deed by how we live, by making the invisible God seen through our words and deeds, through our actions? Thirdly, these gifts are given for the common good. They're given to everyone by the sovereign God in His wisdom, not for you, but for the common good. The result of this manifestation is, is a good thing. It will be a good thing. Good will come out of you using your gifts. It's good for people to see and to experience God in and through you. Other people will be blessed when you live out your gifts. If you want to do good for people, then manifest God to them. Now, the world often tries to do this, doesn't it? But they do so without God. They indeed try to do good for one another, and indeed they do. The world will often do good. The world will often do good, and, and I'll try to seek the common the common good, and they do indeed do some temporary good, but no ultimate eternal good if God isn't in it. And the reverse is also true. We in the church quite often sometimes uh, manifest the Spirit, but we don't do it for the good of the body. Sometimes people will manifest the Holy Spirit, seek some ecstatic sort of religious experience, some religious personal sort of rapture and joy on a personal level, but they shortchange God and they shortchange their brothers and sisters in Christ. They shortchange the church because they don't do it for the common good. So these are the three things that I want you to, to be mindful of. Each of us has a role to play. Each of us is gifted by God, by His Holy Spirit, for the common good. Now, there's three major passages that talks about uh, spiritual gifts. I'm sure many of you have sort of done uh, preaching series on the gifts. Sometimes your church will even spend an entire week on each one of the gifts. I think it's a little bit over-egging the pudding because I don't think Paul is really trying to name every single one of them. There is three passages that talk about spiritual gifts. Firstly, Romans 12, uh, Paul names uh, prophecy, right? Prophecy is not necessarily telling the future. It's more... Not foretelling, but forthtelling. Saying this is what God's will is in a particular time and situation. Service. Those who just love to serve. 
people who are gifted in teaching, encouraging ones. Don't we need those encouragers in our church? Those people that are, that are gifted in, in, in giving, who have been blessed financially or, or blessed with some sort of resource and are able to give, contributing to the needs of others. Those blessed with gifts of leadership and of mercy. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul uh, adds wisdom, people who are able to apply knowledge, words of knowledge, just a God-given word of knowledge perhaps. People blessed with great faith, who faith seems to be able to endure anything. What a wonderful gift that is. Some people are just gifted healers. Uh, some people are able to perform miracles and miraculous signs. Some people are gifted with discerning, knowing the difference between good and and evil. Some people are gifted with the gift of, of tongues. It's a special heavenly language that is gifted to some people to really enrich their prayer life. Other people are gifted with being able to interpret the gift of, of tongues. The gift of apostle is sort of a foundational leader in God's church. It actually means sent, one who is, who is sent. It's sort of a foundational leader like those original 12. People, other people are gifted just being wonderful helpers. Or the gift of administration, of course, we still need today. Ephesians chapter 4 uh, mentions the gift of evangelist, right? One who goes out and spreads the good news. And also the gift of pastor. By the way, evangelists and pastors don't always get on. And if you know anything about the church, you know the evangelists are always out there with their hair on fire, pulling the church forward. Let's go, let's go. And the pastors are trying to gather all the chickens and just wait, wait up. And, and the evangelists are going, why aren't you coming? Let's go faster. And the, and, and the pastors are saying, just stop, just wait, wait, wait. And of course, the church needs both, don't we? We need both the evangelists and the pastors. There are other gifts mentioned in the New Testament, things like uh, voluntary poverty, people who are simply called to to embody God's goodness by living simply. Um, there are people who are called to, to martyrdom in God's church. There have been many of them down through the centuries, of course, who are called to martyrdom. People who are gifted with the gift of, of hospitality. People just do that well. Um, missionaries. And even the gift of, of celibacy is, is mentioned. People who, are, who forgo marriage for one reason or another are a huge blessing. Uh, to God's church. I remember in youth group, none of us wanted the gift of celibacy, but I do need to say that uh, the people who aren't married and have kids are a huge blessing to the church. I, being a husband and a father takes up a serious chunk of my time, and my Catholic brothers, the priests, they're able to give themselves completely into, into God's service. People get hung up on this list, on these particular gifts, but I, I want to say this is not an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul is saying... Here are the gifts of the Spirit, and, and there are no others. I think there are many, many more. Again, back in our youth group days, do you remember the overhead transparency projector? Do you remember that one? You'd be singing, Lord, I lift your name on high, and someone would be trying to, Lord, I lift your name on high, and they sort of flip it over, and you'd say, we need someone gifted in the area of overhead transparency. Remember that? Who in this church was the overhead transparency projector? There we go. I think today, we don't have the overhead, but I think today, don't we need people gifted with the gift of website design for Jesus? Our church is a good example. Our church, we're in the process, being aged, trying to renew our website in order to present a, an attractive face to the world, and it's still stuck in the minister's inbox. 
because the minister isn't gifted with it, but it's in his inbox. We need gifted web designers to build websites and to be drawing people into God's kingdom for God's glory. Can I get an amen? There's also some other. There's a couple of slides here for a bit of a laugh. Thanks, guys. There's one, this guy here, he reckons he's been gifted with the gift of potluck consumption. Many different gifts. Uh, I, I think I've been gifted with a gift of I love a good potluck. You know? And then the next fellow is operating outside his area of giftedness. This poor guy is, he said, yes, I'm going to put up and, and serve on ch- kids' church, but as you can see there, he's serving through clenched teeth. It's not his area of giftedness. He's operating outside where God is wanting to serve, and it's, it's difficult for him, it's difficult for the kids, it's difficult for, for everybody because he's, he's not gifted for it. It's not what he's, how he's called to serve. Now, just as a quick aside, thanks, guys. Now, just as a quick aside, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there are people who believe that some of these gifts have, have ceased. They believe that it ceased in the apostolic age. We call this uh, dispensationalism. There's a big fancy theological word. If you want to impress your friends with uh, dispensationalism, they believe that some of these more spectacular gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased in, when those first apostles died out. They call this, they received a special dispensation. Uh, it's not a, 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 an idea that is completely uh, foreign throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, for example, when in the days of Noah, when people lived for some 900 years, it was a, a different time. And God gave that particular age a special dispensation. So too, when the church was young, in the infant church, it just needed a, a special uh, boost, a special empowering of the Holy Spirit. So some people, for example, would say that the gift of apostle, well, it died out with the apostles. Um, they would say that, um, that obviously some of these gifts uh, are no longer uh, relevant today. Um, I'm not sure that I really think that way. I'd love to hear what you've got to think. I don't think this is an issue worth breaking fellowship over, but I don't read anywhere that God said that he was took his gifts away from his church. It never says anywhere that he's taken his gifts away. And the people who do point to the fact that some of these gifts of, of, of prophecy and, and healing and of tongues, for example, no longer operate in the church, that the references they use are, in my way of thinking, a, a little bit dubious. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is what they use, the famous wedding love passage of the Bible that I heard read just yesterday. As a matter of fact, I was blessed to do a wedding down on Sydney Harbour, on Mrs. Macquarie's chair, looking over the Harbour Bridge. Aren't we blessed to live in this, Sydney, in this city, friends? Thank you, Lord. And I heard this passage read just yesterday, love is patient, love is kind. But it ends by saying these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And so they use it and say, well, those other things that Paul's been talking about have, have ceased. I don't know that I particularly uh, agree with that. Love to know what you think about the spiritual gifts, are they all still in operation or have some of them, have some of them ceased? Uh, now in verse 12, Paul does make it very clear, um, makes it readily understandable that the way in which these gifts are to operate is, 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 is through the body. All right? The human body is his. In all three of those earlier passages I showed you, are all in the context of the body. And you don't have to be a surgeon to understand the metaphor, right? very simple metaphor. One body, many different parts. Each part of the body has a job to do and nothing more, right? And so, too, we're each reliant upon every uh, part of the body. They're all needed. So we've each got to think carefully, I think, about which part of the body we are. 
how do I fit in? How, what are the gifts that I've been given in order to build up the body of Christ? Remember, they're not about you. They're about building up the body. Now, when it comes to using our gifts, I think there are two big ailments that afflict the body. And we're talking about how we're going to be loving and serving. And there's two problems that the church regularly runs into, and Paul identifies them here. Firstly, in verses 15 to 20, and then in verses 21 through to 27. One is a feeling of uselessness, and the other is a feeling of self-sufficiency. Right? One is when someone thinks, oh, you don't need me, and the other one is when we think, I don't need you. Firstly, when someone thinks, oh, no, I'm not worthy, I don't, the church doesn't need me. And then secondly, when someone thinks, well, I don't need that person. Firstly, Paul diagnoses an ailment in verses 15 to 20, whereby the foot and the ear think that they're not really part of the body. They get jealous of other parts of the body. They compare themselves to other parts of the body. And they erroneously think that they're not needed, that they're useless, that they don't belong, and that they're not really that worthwhile, they don't have a role to play. And so they get downcast and stroppy and they take their bat and ball and they go home, right? We see this all the time in the church. This all the time in the church. It's tragic. It's debilitating. It's exhausting for the rest of us. And it's deadly. It actually threatens the body itself. Well, I'm not needed. The body can go on without me. My gifts are not important. So I'll just check out of having any input into the church. But Paul shows us in verses 19 to 20 that the body wouldn't even exist if this attitude prevailed. So if that's you, if you sometimes feel like that, can I encourage you to have a look at verse 18? It's a call to contentment. Paul says, but God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Friend, God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? He knows who you are. He knows how you are best designed to serve. He wants you to serve. If we say that we're useless, that I'm not needed, that I'm not necessary, we're actually saying that we don't trust God, that God is mistaken, that he's not sovereign, that he's not actually wise. Like so many issues in the church, it actually comes down to being a God problem. Do you actually really trust God or, or not? So if that's you, if you've been marginal, in your activity for church, if you've been marginal in, in serving, in rolling up your sleeves and actually contributing to the body, please hear me say this morning, you are wanted. And in fact, you are needed. We need you. There's a U-shaped hole in our church. If you don't do your job, the rest of us have to carry your burden for you, and it's exhausting. We need you to do what others can't. It hurts all of us when you don't. It poses, I know it's a big challenge in our consumer culture today that sometimes in, in, invades the church, doesn't it? Whereby we think, oh, what's in this for me? I'm coming in order to get something for me. What's, how, what can you do for me? What, what, I'm going to come here today in order to give it all, everything that's coming to me, rather than coming and asking, well, how can I come along and bless and serve others? It's my job to make sure that you are blessed and served and fed, but please don't come along to church with that attitude. If we all did, this thing we call church just isn't going to work. If that's you, feel free to leave now. 
Now, I know that's a strange thing for a minister to say. Pete's getting a bit salty this morning. That lovely Carissa, we'll have her back, thanks. But hear me say, stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting our time. And go join a golf club. Seriously. Go join the tennis club, the bridge club, the pickleball club, whatever it is for you. They'll demand a whole lot less of you, let me assure you. Be a whole lot easier for you. But I want you to know that you are needed. What you can contribute is, is essential for us here at church in the marketplace. Bloom where you're planted is another way you might sometimes hear your, your nana might have expressed it that way. Have you ever heard that one? Bloom where you're planted. God has called you to be here. And if so, please step up and serve. Use the gifts that he has given you. There's lots of needs. They can be both physical needs, spiritual needs that we need you to help out with. They can be spiritual needs, people that simply don't yet know the love of Jesus Christ. Unless they've got that, everything else is irrelevant. People need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. That he has came and lived and died for them in order that they might live. This is the good news, to reconcile them back to God. People need to hear this stuff. And we need the evangelists. We need the missionaries. We need the teachers. But we also need physical needs met. The church is always a shadow of what it can be if we're only doing the word and none of the deed stuff. We need people to be meeting people's physical needs, loving them, serving them, healing, binding up the brokenhearted. Lots of work and jobs to do in the church. Lots of poverty and injustice and inequality in the world that needs tackling. Lots of stuff to be doing in the church. How has God gifted you to take on these things and bring healing and peace and life to our world? The other mistake, of course, is in verse 21 where Paul says, where one part of the body says, I don't need you. I can do it all myself. Now, church, I need to confess to you this is a big problem for ministers. Indeed, quite often I think the church sometimes thinks it's the minister's job to do everything. The minister's job to proclaim the good news, to do the evangelizing. It's the minister's job to bind up the broken heart. It's the good news to proclaim just the minister's job. Ministers were never meant to do everything, let me assure you. None of us are gifted to do everything. And ministers that try to do everything, they get burnt out and they leave behind broken, hurting churches. Most tragic thing, and it happens all the time. How many mates? How, another minister has gone, and it's like he leaves behind a broken church and a hurt. It's tragic. It's not the minister's job to do everything. None of us are in a position to say, I don't need you. We all need everybody else. We can't be saying, I don't need you. Yes, I do need every single one of you to be, to be contributing. Think of it as a, as a brick wall. If you pull just one brick out, the whole wall is in fact going to be weakened, isn't it? And Peter describes the church as like we're all living stones fitted together. If one stone is missing, the whole structure, the integrity is, is, is called in, into question. Now at this point I want to give a quick word of warning. Let you know, spiritual gifts are resources are given by God um, and, and you are going to be held accountable <laughs> You are going to be held accountable for how you've used them. You might remember the, the parable of the talents. Do you remember that one that Jesus told? Uh, a master calls in his servants, gives out talents, which is a large sum of money, and gives them out and expects them to go out and to invest, to use them, to multiply the money that he's given them. Some do and some don't. 
You might remember some of them are called a wicked and a lazy servant because they haven't put to use what they've been given. But those that have, hear those wonderful words that we all hope to hear one day. What did he hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Won't those be wonderful words to hear one day? I also want you to, a word of warning too, that spiritual gifts can sometimes be abused. There is spiritual abuse that happens. Sometimes in the church there, are, there is abuse that happens. They are tools, and like any tool, that can be used for good, constructive things, or they can be used for destructive purposes. All right, we've, we've all uh, experienced those, those, sometimes those, those abusive sort of manipulative ministries where people are used and, and abused. So can I encourage you to ask yourself, is how I'm planning on using my gift, is it consistent with Scripture? Is it consistent with what we know of God? Does it build up? Does it encourage? Does it comfort, love and serve? Does it draw us closer to Jesus Christ, closer to godliness, Christ-likeness? And finally, does this way of exercising my gift, does it, does it exalt the giver or the receiver? Does it exalt God or does it exalt me? So in conclusion, friends, I want us to think about our spiritual gifts over the coming week and consider how Knowing and using your gifts will actually make you a stronger Christian. They'll make you more able to make your life count for God. And don't you want your life to count? People who know and use their gifts will have a handle on their spiritual job description. And they'll find their place in the church and they'll be happy serving there. Crippling inferiority complexes, right? and destructive superiority complexes. They'll both fall by the wayside when we serve in our area of, of giftedness. If you're aware of what your gifts are, you'll be able to love yourself as God has designed you to be. You'll be able to work together with the other members of the body in harmony and effectiveness and joy. It'll be a delight to be a part of a church where all the members of the body are doing the job that they're called to. And most importantly, of course, by knowing and exercising your gifts and knowing where you fit into the body, you're going to help the church as a whole. So let me finish with an encouraging note. The work of the Holy Spirit and His gifts doesn't have to be spectacular doesn't have to be flamboyant. There will, of course, be times when God will send his Holy Spirit in spectacular form and shake the foundations. In fact, don't we need a shaking of the foundations of Aussie society at the moment? Come, Holy Spirit. But it won't always be like that. Sometimes, most of the time, the Holy Spirit will be at work in, in the quiet. Some of the most spirit-filled people that I know, not necessarily the most flamboyant, not the loudest, not the ones preaching from a platform. Some of the most faithful, spirit-filled Christians I know radiate the love of Jesus in season and out of season, week after week, quietly behind the scenes, year after year. You know what? Decade after decade. You know who they are. You know who they are even within this body here. Lifting other people up, loving and serving without ever needing to draw attention to themselves. Most, some of the time they employ spectacular gifts, but 
they always exhibit a different form of gift from the Spirit, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Galatians chapter 5. Commit it to memory. These, unlike the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit is something that every believer should always be exhibiting. These are the signs that Christ dwells in you. They are a Christian indicator, if you like. So can I encourage you this week to make a determined effort over the next seven days when we gather here again, to make a determined effort to, to really try to discern, to have a think and a pray about what gifts has God given me and how can I use them in building up the body of Christ in this next season, this new post-Christian world that we're living in. And I encourage you this coming week to really seek God's will regarding how you are, you are going to serve. If you're uncertain about it, can I encourage you to, to ask a trusted brother or sister in Christ who knows you? Seek, seek someone wise out, someone with the gift of discernment in your life. Ask them about it. Can I ask you to, to pray about it this week? So too can I ask you to sow into somebody else's life. Maybe after church today. Just maybe a quiet word to someone. Hey, listen, I saw you doing that. I really think you'd be great at helping out on the welcome desk. You know, I really think, I, you know, I know that you're actually, I know you're a really gifted musician. We'd love to have you up the front and save the church from Pete's cowboy chords every fourth week. I told the presbytery the other day, all the other ministers were gathered here, and I told them, we've got a great band at church in the marketplace, but they're not here tonight, so you're stuck with me and my cowboy chords. I actually got a bit of a cheer because they realized that doing what I can, three chords and the truth, but the reality is I need Sean, <laughs> and I need Hannah, and I need Gerard, and I need Bethany, and I need all of the wonderful musicians, all of us here at church, and I need gifted musicians. It's not really my jam, not really my shtick. So why don't you encourage someone this week? Send a text. Send a, make a phone call, because next Sunday, we're going to be drilling down. Next Sunday, we're actually going to spend a moment and actually think, well, how am I being called a servant to make a commitment? We've got a whole bunch of different needs and mission areas and mission teams in our church, and they need populating. We need your help. So be warned, church, next Sunday you're going to be asked to, to actually say, yes, I feel called to, to this ministry. Maybe you'll be called to lay something down. Maybe the season has come to an end and you need to be liberated from that. Maybe it's become a burden. Next Sunday we're going to be doing that stuff. We're actually going to be digging down, asking you to nominate where you feel called to serve the body. It's going to be a great time of building up the body, making sure that the body is healthy and whole and vibrant and active deep into the 21st century here in Bondi Junction, around this land and around the world. Amen? Let's pray. Our loving Lord, we, we commit to seeking your will in our lives. We commit to hearing your voice. Show us where you would have us serve. Show us who you would have us love. Show us how we each fit into the body. 
Help us to turn aside from feelings of inferiority or indeed superiority. We repent of those times whenever we've been tempted to think, oh, we're not needed or indeed, oh, I don't need you. Show us how to love. Show us how to serve. Show us how we can contribute to the common good over the coming years here at our church. In Jesus' name, the people said, uh, let's.